Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WLMW 90.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVB Radio in Las Vegas, Real Talk 93.3, The Voice of Freedom in St. Louis, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. She gave one of the most incredible in-person speeches that I have seen at our We the Patriots USA National Conference in the summer here. Lee Dundas, attorney and author, joins the show today. You guys are going to love her. She is an amazing personality, a, a fearless warrior in many different fights. She's a uh, human rights attorney and she is a philanthropist. She helps people all over the world. She has gone into the depths of child brothels in Asia and she has been fighting uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking for a very long time and is also been fighting this this tyrannical communist takeover that's been that's been happening. She fought the mandates and she's here to talk about all of it and her new book Just Stand Up: My Fight for Freedom from the Brothels of Asia to the Streets of America. We're going to talk to her about that and how all of this relates to what we the Patriots USA is doing right now in the state of Connecticut and in New Mexico had a big victory there to uh try and get back the second amendment rights and preserve second amendment rights, particularly in New Mexico for people um, out down there at the border who had their right to carry threatened by the governor stating a public health emergency. We've heard those words, right, uh, used in various ways. Well, she tried to use it to take away their right to protect themselves. And, you know, all of that crime that she was um, she was flagging there, and rightfully so. She should be concerned about the crime that's taking place at the border. Some of that and much of that has to do with human trafficking, with sex trafficking. So we are going to talk to Lee about that today here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson after we hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Cardio Miracle, a vitamin D and nitric oxide solution that supports better cardiovascular and overall health. For your gut, your brain, your muscles, your skin, your hair, your heart, your whole health. Learn about John Hewlett's discovery at CardioMiracle.com. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God given inalienable rights. Hi, Lee. Welcome in to the show. It's so good to see you. Last time I saw you was this summer at the national conference, the We the Patriots USA National Conference, and you brought the house down with your speech. It was incredible. Uh, thanks for having me, Taryn. It's a pleasure to be here as always. And uh, yeah, it was good seeing you as well. Um, I'm so excited for your new documentary that's been, uh, I know, in the works for a while and is going to be coming out. Uh, people need the truth. And uh, the more we can uh, get people the truth, I'm a firm believer that people who know more make better decisions. Uh, so whether it's a book like mine or a, a documentary like yours, I think uh, education is the order of the day. 
Absolutely. And starting with the kids, saving the next generation. I mean, that's really where we can all hopefully come together and wanting to, to help children. And that's what Shot Dead is doing, chronicling these families that have lost their children and their babies to the COVID shot. That's what you've been doing, you know, trying to help and save these children that have been uh, in the thrones of, of sex trafficking and, and stuck in this slavery um, that they're in. You used to do, uh, you, you were a pretty high profile lawyer. How did you get into fighting uh, the sex trafficking taking place around the world? Um, really good question. I was a normal soccer mom, uh, mother of an eight-year-old child at the time in 2013. Uh, my husband and I had a business. I had stepped back from the practice of law because uh, if you're a high-powered corporate attorney working 3,000 hours a year, you never see your child and they think the nanny is the mom. And I'd watched that happen to the one female partner in our office and I didn't want that to be my legacy with my child. So I threw myself uh, in helping my husband. He had a healthcare practice here in Orange County and then we sold it. And we had a little bit of time, a little bit of money, all at the same point, which is rare as small business owners. You usually have one or the other, but not both. And we decided to take my daughter out of third grade, uh, go down to Australia, New Zealand, start traveling for about a four to six month time frame. And, you know, you think it's going to be utopia when you go on vacation. And uh, I'm a type A personality. And within, I don't know, about a day and a half of being in Australia with no work and my daughter, we enrolled her in school there. So I wasn't actively mothering for, you know, six, seven hours a day. Um, I was bored. I was just bored off my my little hiney. So I started reaching out to anti-sex slavery nonprofits that were fighting uh, the brothel industry in Southeast Asia on that side of the world and volunteering my time. And pretty much the, the response was very uniform. They were like, let me get this. You're like a white lady from... Orange County, California, and a lawyer, and you want to be a do-gooder, uh, and you have no skills in the area, click. <laughs> it, was, it was, they couldn't hang up or slam the door in my face fast enough, but um, I must have called hundreds of, of uh, anti-human you know, human trafficking, um, even just more broadly, just human rights, uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and Finally, about a month and a half later, we'd actually left Australia. We were in New Zealand at this point. My phone rang, and when I looked at the screen, it was a 714 area code, and uh, which is Orange County. And that was odd because the only people with our numbers were our, my, my husband's mother and my mother, and it wasn't either of their phone numbers. So I thought, wow, who's calling me from 714? Because we traded our, you know, we left our American cell phones behind. We had ones we bought at, you know, the airport store in, in uh, on the other side of the world. And it was a guy, it was the wife of a guy who had adopted two kids from Vietnam. And they were sad they couldn't adopt them all. So they started opening orphanages in Vietnam. And they were seeing a lot of sex trafficked youth coming in and out of their orphanages. And as luck would have it, the guy's day job, he owned restaurants with his wife here in Orange County. And they lived walking distance of the healthcare office my husband and I had just sold in the Huntington Beach area. And they were like, hey, we're going to be in Da Nang, Vietnam on May 23rd with some friends of ours from church that actually own uh, or run an anti-sex slavery nonprofit. Uh, and we're going to be meeting with the prime minister or whatever in Vietnam. And we'd love to have you come to the meeting. And I remember I covered my phone because it didn't even have a mute button. It was one of those crappy ones you buy at the airport. And I'm like, hey, babe, uh, what do you say we like leave New Zealand early and, and blow this popsicle stand and head over to Da Nang, Vietnam? And he's like, Da Nang? What's in Da Nang? And I go, I don't know. It's like a Kevin Cosner moment I'm having. Like, if I build it, they will come. If I know, you know, if I go there, I'll know why I went there. But 
I think it's going to be magic. And uh, he goes, yeah, I'm tired of looking at sheep on pretty little green hills. Let's check out Asia. <laughs> so off we went. Um, I did a half day volunteering with them. I took the, the meeting with the, the higher up in Vietnam. And long story short, I volunteered my time uh, as we moved through Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia, basically, you know, just working for free for this nonprofit. And when I came home, I had a job uh, with the nonprofit as their in-house lawyer. But really what I was doing is they were looking to open an Asia office. They had one in Europe. They wanted to open a Southeast Asia office. And so I was hired to open it, run it, hire and recruit like former Navy SEAL, former SWAT trained guys to go into the brothels. You know, we put big wristwatches on it that looked like big manly Navy SEAL wristwatches, but they were actually recording devices so that we could record the pedophile buyers and the mama-sons doing these transactions, selling, you know, five, six, seven-year-old kids to, to, you know, accountants from New Jersey and, and uh, you know, uh, politicians from Switzerland the world over. And uh, we started doing the work, busting the brothels, uh, working with the Thai government, various other uh, local organizations to, to try to get the girls out and put the bad guys away. That is just incredible, that story on how God put you in that place to do that and um, put that mission on your heart. So we'll talk more about some of those missions and how that ties into the state of the United States and the world today. We're going to talk more about her book, Just Stand Up by Lee Dundas, coming up here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson in just a moment. But first, I am so excited to introduce to you guys the wellness company and specifically their medical emergency kits. Most people don't trust their health care right now. In fact, over 40% of Americans say that they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation. So awake doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough started the wellness company and they are here to step in and help you with things like the medical emergency kit, eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand in times of need, natural disasters, supply chain shortages, medical emergencies. You know, we've seen it happen. East Palestine to Hawaii, you know, rest easy knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals and antiparasitics to help keep you and your family safe. The kit also includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family's prepared for the unexpected, go to twc.health/wtpusa and use the code wtpusa to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health/wtpusa code wtpusa for 10% off. And we welcome back in Lee Dundas to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson talking about her new book, Just Stand Up. And this book and the, some of the things that you that I've heard in your speeches that you've highlighted, and it's just incredible. And it's like a movie, some of the things that you ended up being a part of, an action movie. And we've seen that too, um, you know, with the recent movies that have that have come out about sex trafficking, you know, the work that Tim Ballard's done. And this is really a very dangerous world to dip your toes into, isn't it? It, it is. And I mean, sex trafficking, generally speaking, is a dangerous world just 
just as a baseline, right? Um, it, you know, human trafficking right now is the second largest, fastest growing crime in the world, um, soon to depose drug for the top spot because there's more profit in selling a seven-year-old to a sex buyer than there is in selling drugs to, you know, a, a cocaine addict. If you sell cocaine and the guy likes it, he comes back the next day, you need to buy more cocaine from your guy up the pipeline in order to sell him more product the next night. But it's a very different scene when you're selling human beings. If you sell a seven-year-old to a sex buyer, the pedophile comes back tomorrow night and goes, hey, I really enjoyed myself. I want to do it again. You don't need to buy another seven-year-old to sell him another seven-year-old. You just rent the girl over and over and over until she dies. So when you look at the profit margin, because you're not having to resupply product, um, you know, the gross, if you're, say, say it's a $100 transaction, maybe if, you know, you do a cocaine transaction for 100 bucks, maybe your net at the end of that after carving out, you know, your hard cost to resupply is, I don't know, 60, 70 bucks. I don't know what it is right now. But um, but 100% of what you make is not what you get to keep. In sex trafficking, it's almost 100% of what you get, you know, make, you get to keep because the only hard cost you have since you're not buying more girls every night is the half a cup of rice to keep them alive each day if you're in Asia, like where I work, or, you know, a happy meal a day, a few bucks a day here in America. Um, and in many cases, you know, you've got free shelter in America. Maybe you're paying to slam eight girls into a travel lodge room for 30, 40, 50 dollars a night. But when you're renting them out 10 times a night for hundreds of dollars, American dollars here in the U.S., that's a pretty high profit margin industry. And so every small time gangbanger from Compton and Watts in L.A., where I live, all the way up to, you know, the, the biggest mafias in Asia have moved away from running illegal drugs and weapons and into moving human beings. And when you start to come after their golden goose, they get really, really upset. So that is what makes sex trafficking at a baseline, a dangerous proposition to, to dip your toe in the water and go against it. But where I work in the south of Thailand, it's right up against the Malaysia border. And there's a town there, 140 child brothels in this town, not much else. Um, the girl you see whose face is fuzzed out there, although it's weird when I look at the camera, it almost like resupplies her face. That's weird. It's, it's pixelated and fuzzed out in my heart, heart vision back here. But the night I met her, you know, she, she lives in this town called Sungai Kalak. It was fall of 2013. From that point forward, we had 330 bombs go off that year because across the river from where I was sitting in that brothel meeting with her lie radical Islamic jihadi terror training cells. And these guys are literally polishing their skills, learning how to bomb things like 9-11 type bombers or, you know, the Mideast where they bombed our our ship when it was in the uh, in the harbor there. And so every time you turn around, there's literal actual bombs going off. So that's what this town looks like, you know, after they get done with it every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So it is depending on the region you're working in, but a lot of these are third world countries. It's very, very dangerous territory just from a number of different perspectives. And, and it's very sad work as well. You know, you meet these girls and we were interviewing, we were doing a documentary like your documentary shot dead, but it was about sex trafficking. And we interviewed her friend and we asked her, did you know when you got to the brothel what you would be doing when you got here? Because in Europe where we work, it's a bait and switch. These 16, 17 year old girls, in poor villages are recruited by some recruiter. They're told they're gonna to be a waitress, but when they get to the end of the line, their passport's taken away, they're drugged, they wake up in a brothel. But when you rescue, when you rescue them, they say, oh, I didn't think I was gonna be in a brothel in Greece or Amsterdam. I, I thought I was gonna be a maid in a hotel or a cocktail waitress. In Asia, it's very different. And we wanted to highlight that difference in the documentary. So we said, did you know when you got here what you would be doing? And I'll never forget, the girl looked right into our camera and she said, 
I knew exactly what I would be doing when I got here, but I'm not unhappy. And everybody in the room thought her answer from the translator was, you know, corrupt, that there was some malfunction with the translation. And my colleague from Britain leaned over and he goes, you got to ask it again. There's, nobody's happy to be in a brothel. I don't care who you are. So we ask it a second time. And the exact same answer comes back with an explanation. No, I knew exactly what I would be doing when I got here, but I'm not unhappy because my seven brothers and sisters have food on the table and they're not starving to death. And that was my aha moment where I was like, oh, wow, if you had asked me five minutes ago, do I think it's wrong as a parent to sell your child to a brothel, you and me and everybody listening would have had only one answer. Well, of course it's wrong. But is it wrong if you don't do that? And now you get to watch your child starve because you didn't, along with all of your other children, along with you and your husband. I mean, is that a better result, right? So that's when you take a step back, at least if you're trying to actually solve the problem. And you start looking at how in the hell did they get so poor where that's the only option on the table to sell your kid or watch it starve, right? And then, then that's the interesting answer. Because 90%, that girl you're looking at back there, she is from Sawanakit, Lao. 90% of the girls we work with in the brothels in the south of Thailand come from the north, from a tiny province in Lao. And what is Lao? Lao is a currently communist country. And what is Cambodia? They had a communist overthrow of their government in the 1970s and a genocide, right, under Pol Pot. And you start to realize that the, the lowest common denominator, the thing that binds all of these things together is poverty. But when you peel back the curtain on the poverty, it is because they're functioning in a communist country where everybody is so poor. You don't starve to death in America. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying don't open a soup kitchen. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's so many damn soup kitchens on every corner from small town Nebraska to major cities like New York and L.A. that you have to work to starve to death. You're a homeless guy. You're a homeless woman. You're a mom who fell on hard luck because your husband left you and you're living in your car. And now you got to go to a shelter. Guess what? There are shelters. There are soup kitchens. There's a church on every corner. You walk in there, you knock. Some priest or pastor is going to feed you, even if they don't have an actual soup kitchen running. You're going to go stand in a, you know, in a parking lot somewhere with a sign that says I'm starving and people are going to throw change at you. You're not going to starve to death in a first world country unless you really, really have a death wish. You go to places like I work, you'll starve to death in a New York second. These people have no clothing, no shelter, no nothing. I mean, they are eating crickets for a living and not because Klaus Schwab wants them to, but because that's been what's going on for the last four or five decades. So that is, that is the reality that we're up against. And the reason I think many people I know were able to see the writing on the wall here in America early on, I'm talking first Sunday of the lockdown like me, is because we had either lived or worked in communist countries. The people who were sounding the alarm first and foremost, most stridently, were child abuse survivors, domestic violence survivors, and immigrants from communist or other totalitarian regions. And when I looked at the common denominator between those very diverse groups, what I rapidly realized was, we were all lied to by the people who were supposed to protect us, our government or our parents or our spouse. And if you survive a severe domestic violence, severe childhood abuse situation, a severe communist genocide in your country, you survive because you start watching what people do and not listening to what they say they're going to do. And when you actually look at the environmental indications, they don't lead you wrong. You're able to actually make calculated, informed decisions because you can actually predict based on past trends what's going to happen. And I, you know, I'm with Ronald Reagan. He said, if the government shows up on your doorstep and they say they're here to help, run away. And that mm -hmm. is really the order of the day right now.
And we'll talk more about that on and how that brought you into this current fight here uh, in America in just a moment on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. You need to stand up for the kids because it takes everyone. That is a quote from Father Ernest Ramirez, who lost his child, 16-year-old Ernesto Ramirez Jr., five days after the Pfizer shot. We are talking about saving children, babies, mothers, and their unborn children from this shot. And we are chronicling the heartbreak. We're the first documentary to chronicle the heartbreak and show the human faces and the humanity behind what has taken place over the last few years after the vaccine rollout. We are humbled to announce that our premiere of Shot Dead will be on November 9th, the one-year anniversary of the death of Trista Martin, who would be 19 years old. We're showing it in her hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, with her family there. We invite you to take part of take part in the premiere that will be live streamed. Go to shotdead.org to sign up to receive the link whenever that is ready. And we also will have the documentary available for free after that. So please um, support us in helping to give these families and these children a voice. We welcome back Lee Dundas to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, talking about her book, Stand, Just Stand Up, My Fight for Freedom from the Brothels of Asia to the Streets of America. And she was just telling us before the break on how the common denominator for the poverty that she saw that led to the human and sex trafficking taking place um, throughout the world was was as a result of communism. And so you saw you and like you said, other people that have either experienced communism, have experienced human trafficking, sex trafficking, various um, tragic things like that themselves. They were the ones here at the beginning sounding the alarm. And I can echo that sentiment. You know, I had fellow employees at the PGA tour that um, had escaped communist countries in South America that were also, you know, waving the flag saying, hey, this all sounds very similar to the beginnings of what we heard, um, you know, before we were able to flee. And so I think that that is very um, poignant that that is how you were brought into the fight uh, against tyranny that took place during COVID. Yeah, it's uh, it's it becomes very, very, very evident um, once, like I said, you've worked in these countries and uh, and you get very good at getting stuff done without the help of the government. I mean, one of the other big issues that's driving me crazy right now, and and I've held my fire and my tongue on it for years now because I know it's not a result of, of ill intentions. It, it's just the result of ignorance and you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I include myself in that. If you had asked me in 2012 to be the freedom fighter I am now, I would have been hard pressed to do it. it. It would have been nigh on impossible, but you know, we're running around and, and people are like, Lee, why aren't you filing lawsuits? You know, you've been a litigator, you know, for 30 years in California. And by the way, I skipped high school. I went to college when I was 14. I got into Yale Law School and every other law, law school from the Ivies on down when I was 17 years old. I, I've been in practice since I looked like a sorority kid when I was 21 and I passed the bar. And not, no offense to the work comp lawyers in the crowd, not doing small dollars, small time kind of cases. I mean, I went to work at a white shoe law firm. We were representing Fortune 100, 500 companies. Those are the biggest companies in the world. They're the ones who are right now paying lawyers $1,500 an hour instead of $250 an hour. You're not paid that kind of money to lose. You're not paid to do what everybody else on the block is doing. You are paid to do the creative outside the outside the box kind of move. 
And so when I say to you, you know, I haven't filed a single lawsuit really in the last almost four years, there's a reason for that. And that reason is not that I'm scared, that I'm not a lawyer who goes to courtrooms, because in fact, I was that lawyer, I was a litigator, or that I don't know what I'm doing, because this year marks my 30th year in practice. I'm 51. And I passed the bar when I was 21. So um, I am not filing lawsuits, because lawsuits are not how you get stuff done when you're at war. You know, you go to these events, and I'll say to the crowd, I go, do you think we're at war? And they'll, oh, yeah, we're at war. I'm like, do you think it's a bombs going off kind of war or an information war, fifth gen psyops war? Oh, it's a fifth gen war. Okay, great. Do you ever remember going into class in, in high school history class, U.S. world history as a sophomore, and having your history teacher say, hey, class, open up the book to page 53, where today we learn how some really bright attorney uh, got us out of World War II or the Vietnam conflict by filing a lawsuit? Said no history professor ever, because it doesn't happen that way. Lawsuits and legislation are first world tactics to handle first world problems. Your boss grabs your butt, your kid's kicked off the soccer team because of the color of his skin, your groundwater's poisoned because you got a factory dumping toxins into the groundwater, which are the cases I used to handle. Great, go hire a lawyer, go to court. That is what it's for. You don't end war, though, with lawsuits. And if you really believe we're at war, you need to ask yourself, what are 95% of the freedom-fighting outfits in the space right now doing? They're doing lawsuits and legislation. And I say that with love in my heart and a little bit of upset. I don't blame the people who are doing that. That's all they know how to do. But it is the equivalent of taking a knife to a gunfight. When you walk into communist countries, like the ones I work in, literally sitting on the street that night with that girl and two cops jump out of a cop car and they go into the first brothel they come out they've got a bag by their thigh it's a little bit bigger bag now they go into the next brothel they come out it's a little bit bigger bag they go into the third brothel it's a little bit bigger bag and sometimes they spend 30 minutes instead of three minutes in the brothel and the pastor i'm working with goes you want me to explain i'm like yeah he goes they're on the take I'm like, oh, they're turning a blind eye to the brothels and not busting him because they're charging him a protection fee like the 1940s mafia did in New York. And he's like, exactly. I'm like, oh, and when they spend a half hour in there instead of three minutes, he's like, yeah, they're raping the girls they're supposed to be rescuing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you go, you go into these brothels and the bouncer is a cop as well. He's an off-duty policeman who, when he gets done at five o'clock, goes and works as the muscle for the brothel so he doesn't have to send his kid to a brothel when they're 13 because he can't afford to feed her. That way he can afford to send his kid to private school in New Zealand. True story. So do you really think the cops and prosecutors who are dirty as hell in these countries are going to help you? Let me tell you, no, they ain't. And yet God and your own moral compass and your boss at your nonprofit have sent you to this country as a lawyer from Orange County to get stuff done. And so you rapidly get really, really good at fighting war without the stuff that you thought you were going to fight this war with. You get good at fighting in places where governments are out to hurt you, not to help you. Ask yourself right now, do you think the American government is doing more harm than good? Do you think they're going to be our rescuer or do you think they're the problem? Every one of your uh, watchers right now, your listeners is going to say, no, they're the problem. They're not the answer to it. And so I ask you this, why do we keep going into the courts that we know are broken in blue states anyway, and the legislatures that we know are broken in these blue states, and expecting the guys who are the problem to suddenly flip on us and become part of the answer? It ain't going to happen. So what you have seen me doing for the last 36, 40, 42 months actually now, is not filing lawsuits, not doing legislative moves, not because I don't know how, or it wouldn't have worked 10 years ago. It might have, and I did know how, and that's what I did then. But then is not now. 
when, when we tried to get rid of the vaccine passport system here in Orange County, I walked into our board meeting. I said, you won't need Warsaw Ghetto. I won't be able to leave my house because nobody will service me. And do you really think even the double-boosted Democrats want this? I'm here to tell you, nobody, no matter what side of the aisle are they on, wants to flash this every time they go to the Chipotle and the postal carrier and the whatever. We don't want to be checked and, and passported everywhere we go based on our medical status or anything else. The last people who did that were the Third Reich. And if you vote this in, you are the Third Reich. I'll call this what this is. This is a Nazi plan, and you are the new Hitler in town if you do it. That should have been enough to get them to walk it back. We had a Republican board at the time, and instead they doubled down, called the LA Times, had a hit piece done on me, calling me a Nazi for calling them Nazis. So at that point, did I just go, wow, I guess I lost? No, you have to be persistent. I said, you know what? I'm a good mouthpiece, but I'm not the best mouthpiece. I had ancestors. You know, we were Romani. We had our own Holocaust, but I didn't survive a Holocaust. I'm too young. I called up Vera Sharab after two weeks of trying to get her phone number. She's a Holocaust survivor. I said, what do you think about this vaccine passport plan that New York and Cali are doing? She looked at me and she said, that is a Nazi plan. And that is how Hitler started hunting me and my people down. And I said, I agree. Would you be willing to give me a 30-second soundbite that I can have my husband, who's a doctor and not Del Bigtree, but he's pretty good with video editing, use to make a, a TV ad that I can raise 250 grand and get on the air on CNN and Fox and MSNBC every hour during prime time? She goes, I wouldn't mind at all. Call me at 6 a.m. your time tomorrow. That woman gave me three 30-second soundbites, letter perfect. I made a TV ad. It nearly killed me to raise the money. Got the money raised in under a week. And Gosh darn it, if we weren't running that ad every hour, 4 p.m., 5 p.m., in between Tucker and Hannity and on CNN and MSNBC, we show up at the next board meeting, I had 2,500 people there. It was 6 a.m., three and a half hours before the board meeting was supposed to start. It didn't even take us all day, all night. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the board came out and said, we can no longer afford this disruption to democracy. And I looked at them, and I'm like, baby, this ain't a disruption to democracy. This is democracy, and don't you freaking forget it. Why are we not doing TV ads? Why are we not saying, hey, did you know that of the 36 people that Pfizer kept track of who got pregnant during their clinical trial, 28 lost their baby? It was an 86% kill rate. You know what I did? I had my husband make that commercial last week. Guess what? It's sitting in the can on my desk. You know why? I don't have a million dollars to run it. So I say to the, the well-heeled donors in your crowd, or even the, the people I used to be, the upper middle class who have a few grand a month to throw at something, why are you continuing to fund first world, third world tactics when we are fighting a fifth generation war? Keep doing lawsuits and legislation, but for goodness sake, start doing the outside the box, name and shame, TV ad, other types of things I've been doing over the last few years, because I'm here to tell you at this point, it's probably unsustainable, but it is a 100% winning track record. And right now in the blue states, lawsuits are probably a 1% winning track record. So that's my little rant for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And it's it's so great because it's so key on what we're doing here at We the Patriots USA. I mean, you talk about that Pfizer 5.3.6 data. We're exposing that and so much more in our documentary, Shot Dead. And, you know, we're we're, we're showing the humanity behind this and the human faces so that um, those that haven't been awakened to this, their eyes don't glaze over when they see all the data and the stats that they actually see the heartbreak behind these parents who have lost their children because they were lied to uh, by the government and by these agencies telling them that they would be saving their children's lives by taking these. Instead, um, they lost their kids' lives. So yes, that's exactly right. We have to 
we have to come at this from all different sides. And that's what I want to talk to you too about coming up after the break is um, we do still though, try and, and do what we can in the courts with we, the Patriots USA. And we had some, we had a big win here recently in New Mexico, um, um, stopping the governor there from taking away gun rights in the state of New Mexico over a so-called public health emergency. So we'll talk about that here in a minute because second amendment rights are key to have um, as we move forward in this fight. Today's case spotlight, we want to let you guys know that we are also fighting uh, back against the Second Amendment uh, being taken away in the state of Connecticut, where they tried to take away open carry in June of 2023. It's always been a uh, honored as the Constitution State Connecticut, but that same bill, it banned open carry, also placed restrictions on the number of handguns that could be purchased at one time. Um, here in the state, there in the state of Connecticut, and even more um, things like that, placing even more encumbrances on the people's rights to defend themselves, ammo uh, restrictions, things like that. Please help us carry on this fight to restore open carry in Connecticut by making a donation at wethepatriotsusa.org today. This is vital, 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 vital for us to continue to have our freedoms here in the United States moving forward. Welcome back, Lee Dundas, to the Faithful Freedom Show with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. I think that this Second Amendment, trying to defend and, and, and reclaim those Second Amendment rights, is a very worthy um, fight in the, in the courts and is something we have to do. You've seen all throughout the world, whenever people's rights to defend themselves, the right to carry, the the right to to bear arms, has you know really allowed for that tyranny and that communism to take over. Absolutely. By the way, I want to clarify what I was saying before the break. I'm not against filing lawsuits or doing oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's sort of like the army and navy. You know, they used to be necessary and sufficient to ending a war. Now you have to pair them with the special forces if you really want to win a modern day war. Um, and the and the words we use, you know, in, in the military when you're talking to guys is, hey, the army and navy are great. They're necessary, but they're not entirely sufficient to defeat the threats that we now face. And I view lawsuits and legislation like that. I'm not saying don't go to your capital. That's not what I'm saying. Or don't file a lawsuit. I'm saying if we're betting the farm and that's all we're doing, it is a risky choice. We need to be educated educating the, the moderate middle. A lot of America is really, really, really in the middle and their hearts and minds can be one, but we're not reaching them when we're only preaching to the choir um, and when we're only doing lawsuits and legislation. And I am also saying when we're doing lawsuits and legislation, we have to be smart about it. So I have consulted on many cases, you know, the, the smart money move often is if you can file the same lawsuit in two different jurisdictions, file it in the red one, file it in the red state, file it in a Florida or a Texas court, don't file it in New York or Cali. You got a plaintiff with the same identical, you know, kind of harm, go to where the venue is more favorable, right? So again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying do it smart and pair it with these other grassroots efforts to really raise the level of awareness in middle America, because we need the moderate middle to be aware of what's going on and be willing to stand their ground peacefully. I'm not advocating, you know, you know, revolutionary tactics here. I'm just saying, but, but back to that, the reason our forefathers put the First and Second Amendment in place is, I mean, that was unheard of at the time they were doing this, right? And even now it's unheard of. You walk into Thailand, you can't criticize the king. Like, you want to do that, you're like whispering in a coffee shop and people are looking at you like you're 
you're going to get your butt kicked. You know, you're going to get thrown in jail for even criticizing. So freedom of speech. Free, and, you know, when my forebears, right, my uh, mom is Hungarian-Romanian. My grandfather, my mom's father, came over here from Eastern Europe. Um, he, he was one of 13 kids. Two of them died. There were 11 that survived. And the oldest brother was left behind by my great-grandparents when they came over here through Ellis Island. They were going to send for him later, and they never got around to it. At the time they came here, they were escaping the Red Terror death squads of Eastern Europe. They were just going through, they were communist, and they were executing anybody who was against the government. Um, Small-time farmers, you know, were targeted. Um, peasants were targeted. Um, and and it, was, it was really, really brutal. So that was what they were escaping in the 19-teens, 1920s. But the poor eldest brother who never made it out, assuming he lived on, we don't really know very much what, what happened to him. 20 years later, he's facing down a fascist you know, set of guns under the, under the form of Hitler. And these totalitarian regimes rule the same way. They engage in censorship. They take away your arms. They defund legitimate police or law enforcement entities, um, and they ban your ability to speak out against the government. So, you know, I can remember from being like literally knee high to a grasshopper. You know, my my grandparents, my grandfather never spoke Hungarian in the house. He could, he never did. And when you would ask him why is that, he would say, "I don't want to offend the country who adopted me." They were such patriots, and they slept. They slept in their, you know, tiny little suburban tract house in Southern California. They slept with loaded shotguns in their cabinets, over their beds. I mean, they had arms in their house and it was a very real thing. And it wasn't that they feared their neighbors. I mean, they played bridge with their neighbors. This was the 50s, 40s and 50s and 60s, right? They played bridge with everybody on the street every day of the week and twice on Sunday. They kept those guns loaded and within reach, not because they feared their neighbor, but because they feared that one day or one night, another out of control totalitarian government would be coming for them. And they understood that the make break point was your ability to bear arms and as well, your government's inability to know if they were walking into a hostile gunfight or an unarmed house. And the lack of knowing, right? Registration of guns, very dangerous. You talk to people, I think it was Switzerland, there was one country where Hitler didn't disarm them coming into them and they retained their right to guns and they never registered their guns because as soon as you have a registry, what does that allow the government to do? It allows you to go door to door and strip out the guns because you now know who's holding a gun. But, you know, despite the blue states enacting registries and, and you know, encroaching in, into rights to carry or rights to even have your gun, let alone open carry like Connecticut, but with New Mexico, what they were doing last week. All of that is a huge encroachment on the thing that keeps us free. That First Amendment right, freedom to gather, freedom to pray, freedom to speak out against your government. The reason our founding fathers gave us that right was not to protect the majority opinion. He doesn't need protection. He's in the majority. It's to protect the minority voice, the Taryn Gregson voice, the Lee Dundas voice right now, which I don't think we are the minority. We're painted to be that. But even if we were, it's to protect the little guy who would criticize his government. But they backstopped that with a Second Amendment. And that is the difference between Hungarians who were fighting a communist overthrow a hundred years ago with pitchforks and the rocks in their garden. I can remember my mother saying, you want to lose a war? You start throwing rocks at tanks. That is an unequal fight. 
And that is what you see going on in these communist countries. They round you up. They take away your right to speech. You can't criticize anything. They take away your right to carry. And now you're just sitting ducks. And then they lie to you and they say, we're going to we're going to um, enact a communist government and everybody's going to be equal under the eyes of the law. And it's going to be this airy, fairy, utopic unicorns and rainbows existence. And they herd you out into the fields a half hour outside of Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And when I say you, I mean you. I mean intellectual elite, people with jobs and money, because those are the ones who pose a threat. And then the way they make you equal with their communism or fascism is they starve you to death. That's what happened in the Holocaust. And that's what happened you know, with the Jews in the Holocaust. That's what happened to the Cambodian intellectual elite. Pretty soon you're eating crickets. And if you don't die quickly enough, they come around and they shoot you in the head. But bullets are pricey. So they rapidly move away from doing that. And they start hatcheting you in the back. So that 50 years later, when Lee Dundas and her eight-year-old go to the killing fields of Cambodia in 2013, you can walk in and see a huge glass monument where there are skulls in this monument. And your eight-year-old will be eyeball to eye socket with a skull of an eight-year-old that was executed the same age she was and looking at you and saying, Mama, how did this happen? And you want to know what my response to my child was? In third grade, I didn't know about that monument. I just thought it was a bunch of open fields. It wasn't like I knew what I was getting into because they censor the internet over there. So I could not see that monument when I took my eight-year-old there. But in for a penny, in for a pound. And I knelt down and I looked her in the eye and I said, those in power lied to the people. And by the time the people figured it out, it was too late. So let this be a lesson to you. Don't you ever assume somebody in a position of power is telling you the truth. If you want to adopt any baseline operating basis, it is that they are lying to you until such time as they have proven they are not. Because that is how communist and fascist overthrows occur. And if you look at it right now, you look at the 45 goals of communism. Khrushchev said 50, 60, 70 years ago. Now, I'll take America without firing a single shot. I will destroy her from within. And their goals were very simple. Take over both political parties. Take over the schools to use them as a transmission belt for the purveying of communist socialist propaganda. Attack the nuclear family by normalizing divorce and sexual perversion. Get rid of prayer in schools. Take over the teachers unions. Take over the press so they can control the narrative. And when you go down the row of all these 45 goals that they set up for themselves, which were read into our open congressional record in 1963, they are more than halfway there, such that right now when you do a survey in college of regular college kids, your kid, my kid, my kid's 19 in college right now, fully 51% of those surveyed youth will say they think it would be cool to live in a socialist or communist country. You want to know what the answer is? Take your damn kid to Cambodia this summer and not the Grand Canyon. And I say that with all due respect in my heart. They've seen enough of Disneyland. Take them to the things that you think you would never have taken to them before because they need to understand how the world works. And then they will grow up like my daughter and never, ever, ever say, yeah, I think it would be cool to live in a communist country. She knows that ends with a skull staring at you from a monument 50 years from now. That is so powerful and it's so right. And it cuts to the core of what we talk about here on the show of breaking free from that comfort that they want you a slave to. So then they can, you know, they can do all of these things. They can check off the, that checklist. They can withhold the truth from you and you just completely, you know, and you're in bliss and don't know any of these things are taking place. Well, Lee, we thank you so much for exposing this in your book. Just Stand Up, My Fight for Freedom from the Brothels of Asia to the Streets of America. That's Lee Dundas. Get her book. She's amazing. And check out her website, leedundas.com. See where she's speaking next because she's a phenomenal speaker. 
Thank you so much for all the work you do, Lee. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. You can go to LeeDundas.com. You can see it behind me. That's how you spell your name, LeeDundas.com, to see where I'm speaking, find the book, and uh, stay tuned because we got more work to do here in America and around the world. That's right. That's right. I love to hear it. Thank you, Lee. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA.